Revenue Rhino. I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Vicki Dean from the Santa Fe Group. Vicki, it's really nice to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for joining. So tell me a bit about yourself and your company. I work for a company called the Santa Fe Group. We're actually the managing agent for a program and a company called the the Shared Assessments Program. And that's what I spend about 98% of my time doing. It's a little different from a sales perspective because it's definitely business to business. What we are doing is providing a community and tools and education and training and research to companies regarding third-party risk management. So that's a mouthful. But essentially, about 15 years ago, um, before anybody was talking about data breaches or third parties or service provider vulnerabilities, a group of large financial institutions and some of the big four and some key service providers got together and came to our now founder and CEO and said, We need to do something to try to track our data to protect our customers when we're sharing that data with third parties and fourth parties and downstream companies that we do business with. So out of that, 15 years ago was born shared assessments, and that's what I manage. And essentially, it started out with creating questionnaires and artifacts to help companies, large and small, figure out ways to track data with their customers. And we really decided throughout the years to focus solely on third-party risk because there's IT risk, there's environmental risk, there's geopolitical risk, there's a lot of different things and that we'll talk about, especially during today's environment that needed to be watched. But that kind of grew over the years. 15 years ago, really banks and financial institutions were the only ones that had to care about that because they were heavily regulated. But now everybody has to care. Your retail manufacturers, your energy utility companies, software providers, even universities and small mom and pop shops. Actually, if you're a marketing firm that's sharing your customer data, sending out email databases, you have to care about your risk and, and your risk tolerance. So we became this community of organizations and really focused on how to bring people together to talk about best practices. Third-party risk is not a competitive issue. So we feel like one bank should be able to sit across the table from another bank and talk about what they're doing that's working. And over the years, we've really been able to cultivate that kind of community where we're sharing ideas and making sure that people are doing whatever they can to make the whole part of this business a little bit easier and a little bit more efficient. Nice. That's really cool. So you bring everyone together and share best yeah. practices. And that's we really cool. We kind of operate like a nonprofit association, but we are a mm. for-profit company. We do offer things, but we really pride ourselves on thought leadership and the fact that we do a lot of research that's needed in the market. We find gaps in the market about what's needed as far as training or white papers or blogs. And we bring that to the market. We try to figure out that ha- what's going to happen before it actually happens so that we can bring it to the community. But the most interesting part is how I even fell into third-party risk because <laughs> I had spent the better part of my career in advertising and marketing. I'd worked at ad agencies. I had never done sales. And I had worked at some major ad agencies across the country and some other small agencies here in Arizona, where I'm from. And I had actually had the blessed opportunity to stay home with my daughter, who's now 10, before she went to kindergarten. 
So I was sitting at home and playing tennis and playing Barbies and doing all that stuff, watching my brain, my marketing brain atrophy day by day. (laughs) And my sister, who happened to work for a major healthcare provider, was actually a member of Shared Assessments. And she called me, this was back in 2014, and said, this company that I have an association with is looking for a senior VP of marketing and sales. And I said, first of all, I don't do sales. And second of all, I don't want to (laughs) work. (laughs) And I said, just to keep my mind fresh, I should interview with these folks. And I fell in love with them. Our founder and our CEO are amazing women. They've been in the industry for decades and they have such great knowledge. And I just couldn't say no. So the agreement was that I would handle sales and marketing and eventually hand off the sales. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can handle that. What I found, which was really interesting and incredibly surprising to me, is the relationship building part was more satisfying to me than the marketing and advertising. Hmm. And I'm not sure how many other people that are in sales have come from that direction, but I believe that having the sales or the marketing and advertising background actually makes me a better salesperson because I'm actually looking at personas and I'm trying to figure out how to communicate properly. And I actually care about people's feelings and what they need to see and how to address their certain pain points. And so eventually we split up the sales and marketing and I went to sales and my partner now went to marketing, our CMO. And um, we work amazingly well together, but I have found a real passion over the last couple of years in particular for helping this customer base because they're really just, I'm never the smartest person in the room. These are IT professionals, chief information security officers. I'm completely enamored by their brilliance. And so it's very fun and satisfying for me to try to figure out how to help them. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really cool story. Kind of a weird way to get into sales. but And another thing too is that, um, and I've trained my team this way as well, we're not selling automobiles with all due respect to people that sell automobiles. I worked on the GM business for almost a decade. So I have great respect for that, but we're not selling widgets or cars. This is solutions for third-party risk management. It's incredibly important right now, especially in today's environment that these companies are set up and what's happening at least in 2020 that we've seen, the ones that aren't set up are scrambling and we have a solution that's turnkey to be able to use for them. And plus we have the backing and the history to be the de facto standard of who you go to if you're trying to fix this. And then for those, the larger companies that have more established programs, we have other things that offer that we can offer to them that help just enhance their program or help them report out to their board, which is really important right now with when it comes to risk. So we really have something for everyone, depending on what kind of company it is. Very cool. Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question is, obviously, 2020 has been a crazy year. There's been all sorts of impact and implications on different industries. What kinds of things have you seen this space that you're in for 2020? What does sales look like? And what what is the impact been on these customers? So there's two words I absolutely hate that are used in 2020. One is unprecedented, and Mm. the other is pivot. And I use it so much, I almost get pissed off at myself because we had to pivot our business. I mentioned earlier that we are a member-driven organization. So we bring Mm -hmm. organizations into this community and it's a membership, so to speak. They get all sorts of benefits and a wealth of other benefits aside of that, but it is a membership. We have gone 15 years with success in organic growth year over year, exceptional organic growth year over year in memberships. 
what I realized right off the bat after 2020 hit was that companies were struggling with that membership concept. What they were Mm. dealing with was what all of us were dealing with, which is looking at our budgets really super tightly and examining where our money is going and cutting anything we possibly could, not knowing what the rest of the year would be like. So we did have to pivot as much as I hate that word. And what I did was I'm a huge metrics nerd. So I don't think people understand how much you can actually dig into your metrics in a year like this and find answers and solutions for things to try. Hmm. And one of the things that I did was probably around April, May, I did a um, behavioral analysis. I looked at the behavior trends of our purchasing decisions and who's still buying in 2020. Is it the Hmm. same as who was buying in 2019? For us in our industry, it was not. So I was able to work with our CMO who set up some really great personas for the people we need to talk to. And I was able to look at what they actually need today. And so we have three major revenue generating pillars at shared assessments. One is the membership. Two is selling the tools, the actual artifacts that they use. And the third is training and certification. So we quickly changed our focus in the sales department to not try to push membership Because if you're looking at an annual budget and you've got memberships to five organizations and you actually have things you have to purchase to do business, your memberships are going to get cut first. So this kind of comes to the building that lifelong relationship concept that you have. I absolutely don't want to pressure anybody into doing something for their company that they don't need. I know that they'll see value once they get their foot in the door. So if all they're doing is buying a tool from us, that is me giving a handshake and getting to know them. Then over the time that they're using it, we have many experts, um, subject matter experts, tool experts, people that are really great in the industry that work for shared assessments that can then help nurture that value over the time of their using it. And eventually maybe they'll move into membership and we're starting to see that happen already. But we really changed all of our focus to tools. It's tangible. They can buy it. They can use it. They can show results right away. And then that's the way that we're building the relationship with them. Also, what we found was training budgets did not get cut. Because Mm -hmm. if you can imagine, a lot of folks were now, well, all folks were working from home. And a lot of organizations were trying to validate their time. What are they using their time for? How can we fill that time with things that are actually useful to them, but then are in return useful to our organization? And so training was easy. And so we have certification programs that we were able to then focus on and be able to get people into those programs and they still had training budgets to spend. So it was that pivot of what's working, what's their behavior, and how can we help them right now with what they really need and know that they'll remember that next year when things get better. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, certainly. That's really cool that you guys were able to look at the data and see, okay, what's working well, what's getting traction and make those pivots. What was the greatest challenge as you're pivoting with that, dealing with all that? Probably the biggest challenge that we faced was that the decision-making time stretched. So because we're dealing with large organizations, we still have a 90 to 100 day sales cycle, but we saw that stretch out even Mm. further. So we had to budget to that. We had to plan to that. We had to come up with marketing programs to combat that, but that we just had to be understanding that if I'm sitting at home and I'm doing this job and I've got three kids in my house doing virtual school 
and I've got my boss working from home and I've got all these challenges and these stresses, the person that I'm selling to has all that stuff going on too. Mm -hmm. So being understanding and, and kind about the amount of time that it's taking, things take longer now. You can't just go down the hall and have your CISO approve something, or you can't go into procurement and have them sign a membership agreement. Sometimes these things take more time and, and we've really taken a stance, that consultative selling stance where we're on your timeline. We're on, we're, what do you need from us? How can we make it easier for you? And I've constantly held that as my own method in communicating with people. And my sales team has pretty much the same concept about how they speak to people is really understanding what they need and making sure that we're giving them what they actually need. Love it. Yeah, it's very cool. I love the fact that you guys were able to see these challenges, but also look at the data and say, hey, how do we pivot in order to be successful in this environment? It's changed. The other thing from just, this is very specific to my product, but in our tool set, we already had questions to help companies prepare for mass absentee and is a pandemic preparedness, global changes, all these things were already built into our tools. And I don't know if it's lore or not, but I heard that several years ago, when they were trying to condense the size of the tools, they almost cut that. And they didn't. And whoever the decision makers were on our tool committees and on our tool team, God bless them, because we were ready to roll. Our tools were ready. The other thing is we have another tool um, that's called the standardized control assessment. Companies, large organizations used to have to go out physically to a third party and spend a couple days there actually looking at the, the validating their controls and making sure that they were okay to do business with them. Obviously, they can't go in-house anymore. So we had actually pre-built our standardized control assessment tool to be virtual. Hmm. We had no idea how useful that would be. And so our, the actual architects of what we sell had some foresight there in knowing what was important. And we, were, we didn't have to change a thing. We literally were ready to roll. And thank goodness, because we helped a lot of people. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So for the listeners, maybe less familiar with how assessments work and how it's facilitated, I'd love to learn a bit more about how these uh, assessments, how does it work? You said it's virtual. What does all that look like? So it's an interesting process. Basically, every single company that deals with third parties, like I said, everyone's regulated now. There's the OCC, FFIEC, NIST, there's all these people looking at what you're doing. And we created this questionnaire. And what happens is a company then hires someone in-house or they, a consultant outside outsourcing, but then they have to go and send these questionnaires to the third party. They ask them a, a number of questions about their security processes. The customer fills that back fills out that whole questionnaire, sends it back to the outsourcer. The outsourcer looks at it and says, okay, we feel safe with your security posture. We're ready to move forward. That's step one. And we have a tool called the SIG, which is the Standardized Information Gathering Questionnaire. It's the best known questionnaire for third-party risk globally because we've been around the longest. We have the most legacy. And we, like I said, we consider ourselves the de facto standard. There are competitors out there, but we've been around the longest. And we are actually the most comprehensive set of questions. And we were content library providing those security controls. But that process, as you can imagine, is quite manual and time consuming. And if let's say you're a large bank 
and you have a small company that's printing your checks, they're the printer. And you have to make sure that when they're sending their information, that it's safe. The printer may look at this questionnaire and go, I don't know, even know what this means. What does this concept mean? Is something encrypted? All these things they don't understand. And so it's time consuming for the outsourcer to work with that vendor. And we have a ton of partners that can help with that. Our organization has 30 content licensee providers that actually take our content and ingest it. But we're a community of people that have solutions to help them. But it's a tedious process. And it's one that we're constantly trying to improve and make more cost efficient. A lot of these companies still don't have a great third-party risk department. Mm. And so we're trying to be there for them in every way that we can to create efficiencies and try to make their job easier, ultimately. Oh, very cool. That's interesting. So what advice would you give to other uh, sales and marketing leaders that are looking to build relationships with their customers and especially in the space that you're in? I think this applies to any space, any sort of sales. Uh, You have to listen. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of sales professionals get their canned presentation and they want to hit every point to make sure that they communicate everything that you guys have to provide. And I've scrapped that. I'm jokingly the queen of the 17 minute pitch because I listen to what their problem is. I listen to what solution they're looking for. I I can hear what their pain points are Mm. and I only address those pain points. I don't need them to know about something that we offer that they're never going to care about down the road as we're building value in a relationship with them, we can tell them what's available. But I really think that every single sales professional, especially this year, but always has to listen. What do you need? There's no bigger turnoff. I know you this, you probably know this too, when you're being sold and someone's trying to talk to you about something you could care less about. You're like, I have yeah. time for this. It's not what I asked for. So it, that is my greatest advice is to listen start off every sales call with that question. What is it that I can help you with today? A lot of sales professionals are doing that. Here's how I can help you today. (laughs) And I'm not sure that's the best solution right now. We really need to hear how people are struggling and what it is. And that's in my industry and any industry. What are you, what is your pain point? How can I help you? And that's where that consultative sales thing comes in. We're really trying to just give you advice. Sometimes we turn people away and say, that's, we're not the right solution for you. It's not a good fit. And to me, that's just that someday they may be at another organization. And this has happened where they go to another organization and then they come back and say, I think this is a good fit now. So we're better off not selling them something they don't need, honestly. I love that. That's such great advice. Thanks so much for joining, Vicki. I appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing. It was fun. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day.